Good afternoon and welcome to Layton's Loft. Thanks for joining us here Wednesday, June 2nd. What's up, Greg, Bill, James, Nick, Jeff G, Tom, and the rest of the gang. Appreciate you joining us for today. We'll kick back for the next hour or so, talk about all things hobby. And if I'm not mistaken, Lou, we have Mike D joining us about five today. Yes, he's coming in around five o'clock. We got him all set up. He's very confident of his technical expertise here, so we should be good. Excellent. So we have an uh, interesting guest at five o'clock today as well. Uh, that always makes for a uh, more fun show. What's up, Rocco? Thanks Rocco's for tuning in, Jeremy. Chef's hey, here. Chef. Hope all is well out there in Minnesota. Got a good one for today. Uh, I know we were talking about it last week. I'm not exactly sure where things were, but I know we were alluding to the national making some sort of big announcement. Yeah. They have, they have done that. Um, they've announced that as of now, right? Anything could change. But as of now, the National Sports Collectors Convention, Chicago style, Chicago edition, is going to be going off at the end of July, early August, as expected. Uh, I was in touch with uh, David Gelfman, who runs the Case Break Pavilion uh, over the last 24 hours or so, kind of getting uh, the lay of the land there. Uh, you know, so there's a lot going on, you know, across the board. Was this the original week or was it a week earlier? Before. No, it's the original. It's the original, oh, it's the original week. week. Okay, excellent. Hey, Hi, what's Jake and Daniel? What's going on, Orlando? Uh, and so, you know, a lot of folks have asked me questions, Lou, for example. Hey, is there going to be, um, you know, guidelines uh, or, or you know, certain, you know, max people allowed in? I said, your guess is as good as mine. At this point, you know, we're certainly going to try to be, uh, you know, as safe as we can. Um, we're going to try to put on, you know, a fun week. Yep. Uh, you know, obviously for the folks that are there live, as well as the folks that are not there live, uh, already corresponding with a few folks like Chris Cohen and others that are going to be there in person. So we're going to have, uh, you know, a nice, uh, hopefully a couple, you know, early happy hours or and or dinners. <laughs> yeah. you know, it should be, uh, it should be a good time. Hey, what's up, Jim? Looking forward to seeing you out in Chicago. Hopefully you're going to make it out there as well, chef. Um, all right. Todd's got a good question. Do you like Chicago style pizza or hot dogs? Uh, I mean, I think for a change of pace, it's cool. I can't say I'm a deep dish pizza guy because yeah, no. I'm not. Uh, I like Vezo pizza in the city as well as, you know, any any other like New York style thin pizza. Um, that's kind of my thing. But uh, in terms of hot dogs, I remember several years ago when I was a little bit younger, um, you know, we threw back a few and it was like two, three in the morning and the cabbie, like, I think we ended up at a hot dog place. and like, this is a hot dog? <laughs> uh, certainly some fun times out there. Looking forward to it again. Um, you know, the summer. What's up, Melch? Hey, Chris. What's going on, Jeff G? What's up, Bri? Um, so, you know, in terms of the national uh, and, you know, like my first, I guess, group of tips, um, you know, we, we put a blog out a couple of years ago at this point, right? The national was canceled last year, Lou. Um, yep. And so at this point, the, the blog would have been two years ago on our um, blog at blog.justcollect.com, where you can not only read about fun things like tips for the national, but also um, read about hundreds of collections that we bought through the years and some of the unique stories behind them. <laughs> um, and so uh, one of the, I guess, benefits of it raining for nearly like 52 straight hours on vacation <laughs> when you're only on vacation for about 72 wow. this past weekend in Ocean City was, I mean, we did everything with Cross, for Cross. But at some point, we were basically breaking, and Julie and I explained to Crosby that there's a thing called outlets and that daddy needs underwear, amongst other things. 
um, <laughs> as you know, new sneakers uh, yep. is why I'm bringing up the national. Uh, and you know, Atlantic City has some decent outlets. So we were staying in Ocean City, which isn't that far. And I was uh, telling the guy I played tennis with this this morning, uh, and I just saw that my lovely wife Julie just called. So if you're listening, honey, I love you. But I have some more to do this weekend. So, um, Dougie, what I did was when we started to go shopping, it's only the three of us, um, I decided to take Crosby on the front end for the first few stores because we were kind of splitting up. Mm -hmm. My thinking, and of course I didn't say this to Julie, was like for the first little bit of it, Crosby's going to think it's an adventure, right? It's going to be fun. But at some point, that's going to wear off. Right. And he's going to want to know when we're doing something fun next. <laughs> and I didn't really want to be part of that. I wanted to be part of the front end of it. So you so were gaming the system. Yeah, you were gaming the whole thing. I would say I was strategic. Yeah, <laughs> same thing. Yeah, you know, you know, I like to listen. I choose my words carefully. Remember, my wife's an attorney. <laughs> yeah. So whether it be she's listening now or later, this can all come back to haunt me. <laughs> Yeah, well, um, I, I think it's cute that you think your wife didn't know what was going on. <laughs> That's well, the... see, she may not have because honestly, we were so beat down by the rain. And, and when I say beat down, yeah, I mean, you know, I had to purchase easily, I don't know, the jacket cost 60, the hat was oh, 25, yeah. broken umbrellas 25. I mean, these are things I bought just so I could walk on the boardwalk and not, you know, complain. Yeah. Um, when, I, when I say walk on the boardwalk, I understand that we didn't like just pack it in and stay in the hotel, you know, we did stuff on the boardwalk, you know, meaning the escape room or like the mirror maze with Kroz or whatever the other, you know, we got various forms of ice cream and ices, but once again, all on the boardwalk. Um, did you go away this weekend? I did not. I was moving. Oh, all right. Well, hopefully the rain wasn't too bad for your move. Um, but uh, it was, it was pretty bad down there. And so, uh, one Sunday, like afternoon came around, we had some plans in the evening with one of Julie's friends at former co-workers. Uh, she's got a young daughter. We thought Crosby would like that. We basically tried to get away. And, you know, they have an Adidas outlet there. They have a Nike outlet. So I'm not kidding. The only two outlets that had a line to get into the store because they were limiting people yeah. was Nike and Adidas. Oh, so fast forward three pairs of sneakers later. Um, I now have three pairs of new sneakers. One of them is earmarked for the national. I'm not going to wear them. Till like a week before to break them in. <laughs> um, but I'm now prepared. And so kind of getting back to the national, that's one of my, my first big tips is whether it be you come for two days or four days or you stay all week and you walk 37 some miles that I walked two years ago uh, at the national. Um, it's really important to have comfortable shoes or you're just going to find that your knees are barking or your feet are screaming at you. And, you know, you're going to want to take a break because at the end of the day, there's only a handful of booths at the show. They're going to have right. carpet. And even if they have carpet, it's not necessarily for the entire booth. Sometimes it's like carpet behind the booth. Right. Um, so I would say number one thing. What's up, David? What's going on, Nick? What's up, Jim? Um, number one thing is to have comfortable shoes slash sneakers. Um, and then Chris was asking me, I think yesterday, in regards to cash. So here's the deal. Generally, people don't take credit card. Mm -hmm. A fair amount of people are going to take PayPal through like that on-phone device. Or to be fair, you could just send it from your app, I'm sure. But I would say that for certainty, everyone will take cash. Um, and I've had people before be, if you will, not as flexible on price yeah. when you're paying via PayPal or via company check right. versus cash. So once again, if you're going to the national with whether it be a want list of three or four items or a want list of 30 or 40 items, um, 
you know, having, you know, having the, the resources at your ability, or excuse me, at your fingertips will give you the ability to, to get these better deals. Right. Um, and I can assure you that, especially that first day as a quote unquote dealer, you know, as someone who's walking around and, you know, I, I do have my strategy, which we talk about on the show. It's kind of fun. Um, I'm very efficient with not just, you know, my time at the booth, but if someone, for example, I'm making it up, doesn't have exact change, I literally write down their booth like you owe it to me later and I'll come back. <laughs> yeah. Well, because think about it, sure. right? You, you, you're, you're chuckling and I know it's kind of funny, but if I had that happen to me seven times on seven different buying occurrences in the first day and that wastes 20 minutes, meaning three minutes you know, yeah. per occurrence, I'm, I'm trying to, you know, listen, I enjoy it very much, but you're talking about gaming the system. Well, I try to get the most out of it, you know, that I can. And, and one of the ways to do that is to be efficient with your time and to be well-prepared. Let me ask you this, because you were talking about there's a cash price for things, which uh, helps you with the negotiating a little bit. Do the prices get a little bit more flexible as you get later into the show, as you get towards the end of the show? Great question, Lou. Um, and I would say that undoubtedly back in the day, back in the day being pre-internet or early mm -hmm. days of the internet, um, absolutely. But I would say there's a very common occurrence and it happens not just on the Sunday of the national meeting, the last day, but almost on every day. Well, hey, I can just sell it on eBay for such and such. Yeah. Sure. Not to say that it's easy, that it's fun, that you don't have to pay fees, that someone can return it, you know, so on and so forth. Um, but nonetheless, you'll certainly have a fair amount of people say that to you. Um, and so, uh, you know, I know some people are going to go there as a collector with like their short list of their, their white whales. Um, <laughs> you know, for me as a dealer, I am looking for things for myself. I'm looking for the things for vintage breaks and for just collect. Um, but then also there's business opportunities that come about because of people that you only see once a year. And so, you know, generally I'm, I'm kind of careful with, you know, my time and, and how I go about the week. And so that first 24 hour period, I really try to keep the shaking hands and kissing babies part of it to a minimum, knowing that I'll be there for the week. Right. Um, and I try to be as efficient as I possibly can, um, you know, walking around and buying and, you know, making note of what I bought. So I don't forget at the end of the day. Yeah. Before eBay and before the internet and social media, this was the only opportunity they had to get some of these collectibles out in front of a large market, especially a qualified market. But that market is there all the time now, isn't it? Yeah, no, very much has changed. Uh, you know, Lou, Greg is asking about Venmo and I'm sure that there's other, you know, payment services that we're missing. Um, you know, my guess is that folks are going to be taking a variety of different payments. However, you know, first and foremost, cash is king. Um, I do think that a large majority will take PayPal, whether it be through the app or through that handheld device on your phone. Um, but, you know, one of the things that can be heartbreaking, both as a collector, dealer, investor, wherever you place yourself, whether it be in one or several of those categories, is to like, wow, I ran out of cash on the first day of the national. I really want to buy this item. And the guy will only take cash. Hmm. You can't be mad at the person. You can't be mad at the company. Right. Um, so just know that ahead of time. Um, and I would also say, uh, this is not something that I've uh, added, um, or not something I've mentioned in the past, but I will add to our blog for this national, um, is bringing cards in your collection that you're, you know, kind of no longer keen on keeping. Not to say you have to bring them to sell, but I think trade bait is a wonderful thing. You know, you could be at someone's booth and you could be at $500 to $1,500 apart on a deal for a card or a group of cards or a set, excuse me, that you really want. And you're like, you know, I don't really want to give you any more cash. Oh, you know, I have this card that's worth $750. Yeah. 
you know, and so uh, my point is, is that, you know, on top of bringing your cash, on top of having comfortable shoes, try to bring a dozen, you know, a couple dozen cards graded uh, is always better, just easier and more liquid. Um, so that way you have a little bit more flexibility when it comes to deal uh, deal making. Uh, Benson asks, what's your ratio of being a buyer versus seller while at the Nationals? Uh, sure. Uh, great question, Melch. So, um, you know, it's funny in terms of selling at the National, uh, you know, we sell, you know, breaks right through vintage breaks for the week. As you mentioned, um, Melch, we also sell uh, at our booth at Just Collect. Um, and depending on the year, sometimes national retail sales can be very strong. Others, other times, not as much. But I will tell you that on the sales side, I go in with very low expectations um, because I generally can't control that. You know, for yeah. vintage breaks, uh, it's been actually two years since we've had a national. Um, I have a little bit of a, an idea of what to expect. I think it's going to be very busy uh, at the convention. I think it'll be busy online. And so I'm excited for, you know, for that. Um, but, you know, truth be told, uh, the main reason why I like to go to the national uh, is because I like to see people in person and I like to buy. And when you're someone who does this professionally, like myself, for vintage breaks and for just collect, and then also as a collector, you know, slash long-term investor, um, man, it's it's like being a kid in a really big candy store that is only open once a year. And in this in this case, or in this particular case, it's only open every other year, meaning it has right. not been open yeah. since since you know since two years ago. Uh, and that's really the way I look at it. So you know, you I'll be out. Do you think there's a pent up market with, with without the national last year? Do you think there's going to be some added energy because everyone missed? But again, the online market is still there, right? Yeah, I mean, I think the added energy will come from, you know, let's say, and I'm making up, I don't know the pool, but let's just say the pool of possible collectors that have never been to the national is 50,000. Mm -hmm. And normally every year at the national, there's 2% of those people go this for the first time. I think 8% might go this year, meaning four times the amount of people right. that that would normally go for the first time. I think you're going to have a lot of first timers going this year. Um, you know, which is which is awesome. All right, Tyler says he's trying not to buy so much in anticipation for these bigger shows coming up and I'm finding it difficult to be patient. Uh, it is tough, uh, Tyler, but you know, I would say you're going to want your resources when it comes to the national. I mean, when that first you know, our unfolds, whether it be from the standpoint of a collector, a dealer, investor, any of any and all of those three, I will tell you that even from the standpoint of someone who, you know, is well financed and has good resource, if I buy a deal for the in the first hour for $38,000, you bet your bottom dollar, I'm going to look to see how much cash I have left. What do I have to do to get more cash if I need it? Um, you know, so on and so forth. And so, um, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of a, a race in that regard. Uh, you know, meaning like walking around and, you know, there's the quote unquote low hanging fruit yep. um, of, you know, maybe being able to be able to buy something and sell it right away for a flip. I know guys that just do that the whole show. That's not really my MO. I'm more buying for the long term. But, you know, if something looks apparent to buy it and you can sell it quickly, sure. But I don't generally sell things quick. Um, Is there still a reasonable range in pricing where that you can actually find some value? Because it would seem like with all the social media and all the pricing that's out there, everyone would be more or less on the same page. Well, you would think so, but it's not the case. Hmm. Uh, and what I mean is there's just so many dealers. Something's going to crack. Yeah. Meaning someone, some item, something, and you're going to hear about, oh, wow, that guy just sold his whole booth. Or did you hear about that fine that just walked in? And like I said, maybe someone 
spent all their cash in the first, you know, day of the show. And now they're kind of in the sell mode, you know. So it's basically the a live, you know, baseball card exchange, you know, and shout out to Steve, floor for the week in the sense of a stock market, um, unlike any other week of the year, because there's really no other convention in terms of sports cards that last a week. And when I say it lasts a week, um, we arrive generally on Monday. Uh, we leave on Sunday. The National, I believe, is either open. I think it's open for the first time uh, to the public, like VIP, you know, sneak peek, all that kind of stuff on Wednesday. But Tuesday is a very big dealer day. And I believe we set up for vintage breaks in the Case Break Pavilion on uh, Monday night slash Monday afternoon if, if, you know, if they allow us, meaning the hours and such. And so by Tuesday, yeah, we're humming already. We're setting up the Just Collect booth. The Vintage Breaks booth is already, already excuse me, already hopefully ready to go. Um, and, you know, uh, I already know of at least two appointments I'll have in the Chicago area uh, before the national starts officially on Tuesday. So it's going to be a very busy week. Yeah. But exciting, right? Yes. And each dealer uh, booth, I imagine, is in a different place in terms of whether they need liquidity or whether they're taking in inventory. Some people are looking for cash. Some people are looking for inventory. And that's going to affect the prices on a dealer-to-dealer basis, right? Absolutely. And I think it's a little bit of a game of poker, yeah. right? If someone comes up to your booth and they say, do you have any flexibility in prices? You might give them you know, one bit of information. If they say they want to buy everything, they might you know, get another bit of information from you. But my point is, is I would never start off by saying that. I might ask you, say, hey, do you have any flexibility? Yeah. Sometimes people kind of race to the bottom. Hey, I'll give you 60% off. Yeah. Well, that's fantastic. I might have bought it all at 30% off, making it up a little bit. Yeah. You know, uh, and so, you know, I'll make notes. Hey, I want to go back to this booth. Got really good stuff, but prices are just so-so. So, you know, I'll have my little notebook and and I'll have my, my you know, backpack and have my uh, my resources ready to go, you know, for the show. And I encourage everyone to do the same. Excellent. I'm sure everyone's excited. It's going to be fun. Yeah, it's going to be a blast. Uh, so look for that, um, you know, article with some additional tips, uh, some like some of the things that we just discussed and more uh, coming out in our blog at blog.justcollect.com. Um, without further ado, uh, I wanted to mention the seven prizes we'll be giving away uh, during today's Layton's Loft show. Um, the only way to qualify to win one of these seven prizes is to be tuned in on Layton's Loft uh, show on Facebook. And the seven prizes are as follows, Dougie. $50 break credit, third year Wayne Gretzky. Mm -hmm. we'll hold it up. Yeah, hold up. Yep. There we go. Uh, 1962 Tops baseball separate spot, and then four 1973 Tops baseball separate spots. Seven prizes in all, all for just tuning in. So if you're listening to this, in the you know podcast universe on your favorite platform uh, and you're having a good old time uh, that's fantastic give us the good old thumbs up and subscribe however if you want to win one of seven prizes that we give away each and every week here on Layton's Loft you have to tune in 4:30 p.m. Eastern time on Wednesdays and right. interact with us say hi talk about something you bought in the hobby traded for or a card show you're looking forward to like the national all right david's looking for a foursome right? golf partners so <laughs> oh, in uh, in Chicago? Yeah. Nice. Yeah, we'll have time to uh, to golf. I'm hoping to have time to go to Cubs game, but I definitely want to make sure I make time for um, uh, dinners and happy hours and, and lunches across the street at Gibson's. Are the Cubs in town that week? Um, I didn't look yet, but I'm okay. hoping so. Well, let's find out. Yeah. 
Hey, what's up, Andy? So uh, before we open up this 2020 Chronicles football uh, value pack, um, I wanted to check this product out, so I thought it'd be fun to open up a pack um, and offer a bounty uh, if we hit something fun. Um, the uh, NBA playoffs have got very <laughs> interesting. Uh, the Celts are not only now gone, oh. but they are Sons, uh, Danny Ainge, and Brad Stevens, when some people thought he should be out, is now up. Promoted. Uh, yes. And so, <laughs> uh, you know, I myself as a Celtic fan um, have no problem with really either guy. Um, from what I can hear with Danny Ainge, it was really a matter of family. And, you know, listen, the guy's won rings, both as a player and as management. Um and, you know, he's still a fairly young gentleman. Uh, and, you know, he may come back yeah. to the sport. Who knows? But well, he had health like, issues as well. So, yeah. So it, it seems, though, um, uh, you know, it seems as though um, that was really the, the rationale behind him moving on. The Brad Stevens thing is, is really surprising. It goes to show you that he really, I guess, had been burnt out by coaching. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I, I realize that it's not easy for folks to sympathize with an NBA coach making millions of dollars or an NBA player making a lot of money. Um, but I've said it before. I'm going to say it again. I think that the bubble last year, forget about the champion and arguing with it. it that's I'm not saying that. Yep. I think it took a lot of, uh, a lot of everything out of, um, you know, folks yep. uh, in the NBA from management to the players, to the coaches, uh, to some extent, the fans as well, not maybe enjoying it as much. What do you think is um, more useless in the NBA these days, the coach or the GM? I mean, it's, it's all a super team league. It's men's softball is what it is right now. Yeah, I mean, you know, I would say it depends on the team. For example, uh, if it's the New York Knicks, Tom Thibodeau had an incredible impact on the Knicks as a team and his organization. So I would say in that case, um, absolutely, uh, the coach had a big impact. Um, you know, I can't think of a coach off the top of my head that, that I'm going to, you know, throw under the bus, but – there's definitely some coaches the way you described, Lou. It's more of a softball league where they just kind of show up and, you know, guys are going to do their thing regardless. Yeah, I mean, there's uh, teams can improve with good coaching, good GM work, but the championships are, re are reserved for the super teams, right? I mean, it's, it's just hard to beat super teams in the NBA these days. Yeah, I mean, you know, from the looks of it, I know I don't want to break Sam's heart over there that, uh, you know, the Bucks are going to the finals. But, I mean, I got to tell you, the Durantula – Unless he gets hurt. I mean, the guy, he's just the best player on the floor right now in the NBA, not just for the Nets, you know, in, in the NBA. He's got knees. What is it? He's got knees. Well, he may, and you may pull a Tanya Harding on him. And if you do, we heard it here, you know, first uh, in terms of, you know, video and audio evidence. Um, uh, I will not stand in the way as they come for you, Sam. Um, you know, uh, that being said, um, you know, the Brad Stevens move surprised me um, because he's still fairly young. And I think although that's great um, and was okay for coaching, uh, hopefully he has some sort of plan where, um, you know, there's a reason why they bumped him up. Because if it's just because of a vacancy, the whole, themes, the whole thing seems very awkward to me. Um, but, you know, we'll, we shall see what kind of coach – it you know, is very they, awkward. Are yeah. they going to go after a young guy? Are they going to go after an experienced guy? Is that experienced guy going to be reporting to a guy like Brad Stevens? I don't know. It's very funky. 
two interesting things uh, that we found out today is that this has been a discussion. This did not happen since the loss to the Nets. This has been a discussion for some time. And during the press conference today, the owners of the Celtics called it a retirement of Danny Ainge. Danny Ainge did not use the term retirement, which I thought was interesting. You know, I didn't catch the uh, press yeah. conference, but I'm sure that in both cases, the Celts were trying to save face. And Danny Ainge is like, well, I didn't say I was retiring. Just said I'm not yeah. doing this job anymore. And they were very careful to say that it was Danny Ainge's decision that they tried to talk him into staying. It was, it was. They were trying to get away from the concept that it was a firing of any uh, sort or manner. They, they were very careful about wording that that way. Yeah. So uh, moving on from Celtics uh, news, um, the Lakers are one game away from not only being eliminated, Dougie, mm -hmm. uh, but more so, like where does it leave LeBron? You know, and I know, Lou, you're not a big NBA guy. Um, oh, but everyone's talking about LeBron last night. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And now, now what's interesting is AD didn't play. Doesn't even matter. <laughs> and I'm not saying that's right or wrong. It just doesn't matter. They're not going to remember in 10 years from now. Well, AD didn't play, you know, game five. And so LeBron gets a pass. That's not yeah. how it's going to go, Lou. Nope. No, LeBron's not getting a pass. And if this turns out to be his first first-round exit, that's going to be a big hit to his legacy, which LeBron is very conscious of. Uh, absolutely. So, you know, I didn't catch much of the game. Uh, I was tied up, and I saw LeBron exit early. Was that because of injury, Dougie, no. or you're not sure? No, okay. he just – He walked off. It was just – he was out. He was he cooked. Just, he was checked out. Yep. Wow. So, so I do believe that, and, and I'm going to read more about it tonight, you know, when I have a few minutes free time, um, you know, I do believe we're seeing something happen right now. Whereas just 12 months ago, LeBron was like, you know, the apple of everyone's eye. Yeah. And literally you could be one game away from a first round elimination. And by the way, the Suns are no slouch. So it's not like he's losing to a, a you know, a bad team or a crappy team. Like, all kidding aside, the the Suns should win the series based on the the seeding and the 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 record. Doesn't even matter. Still, just so interesting to me what LeBron goes through as a player. Very telling as a personality that you just leave the court. I it just it's just amazing to me. The professional athlete leaves the field, you know, bef before the game's over. Absolutely. Hey, Michael. Thanks for the feedback. Appreciate it. Um, David yeah, says, uh, Melch says, uh, could you VB do a live stream from the floor, a tour at the national for maybe 20 to 30 minutes? People would love to see it. Absolutely. So Melch, one of the things I'm going to do on Tuesday this year of the national at some point early on, I take a video before, you know, all the bedlam ensues, you know, I like to, I like to get some, you know, video and photos of the floor before yeah. it's all set up. And then I'm going to do, I don't know if I'll do a 20 to 30 minutes, but I'm going to do a few different like five to 10 minute ones where I'll not only, you know, say hi to maybe a buddy, uh, you know, at the show or a fellow auction house, whatever the case may be. But um, I'm also going to show my pickups live as they, you know, basically unfold. Um, I think that'll be really fun. Uh, and I think Melch, you're right. Uh, it would be a really great way to kind of get a bird's eye view of what's going on at the national for those that can't attend. Um, I'm going to bust open this uh, Chronicles football here. Yeah, I'm not available to coach the Celtics. It's just, uh, well, I might be available to coach the Celtics. I oh, hear I would be, pretty good. They would, they would <laughs> throw me in the bathroom in about two minutes. Yep. 
All right. So let's see what we got here. Switch the eyeball. And then we got Mike joining us in just a few. Yeah, Mike's here whenever you're ready. Okay, great. So, Lou, I switched over the eyeball so we can okay. go through the pack together. There you go. Heard this is a really fun break, Sam, the Chronicles football. Oh, that is nice. I like that layout. Mm. Sam, what do you think about the Bucks' chances against the Nets? Honestly, I feel very good. I don't right. think anyone on the Nets can guard me on this. So, based on what Sam's saying, my guess is I'm going to bet against uh, <laughs> because I'm not sure if Sam's an experienced better. Um, but no, all kidding aside, Sam feels good about the Bucks, but admittedly, he's a Bucks fan, <laughs> so he is biased. I am not, and I like the Bucks. You like the Bucks? I do. Really? I do. You heard it here first. Sam and Dougie are on the Bucks for round two. Um, I didn't look at the matchups. Someone may not be able to guard Giannis, but Giannis can't score a hunch. And isn't uh, didn't they lose the starting point guard? Um, for the Bucks? Right. No. Uh, what's his name? Vincenzo or? Uh... Uh, uh, Dante DiVincenzo. Yeah. I think, he, isn't he gone or didn't he get hurt? Uh, I was uh, we got a verification process happening. <laughs> uh, Clyde Edwards Hilaire, rookie. Matt Ryan. Mm. Justin Jefferson, rookie. This has been a good pack so far. Very nice. Yeah. Marshall Falk, Hall of Famer. Mm hmm. Bit of a whiner, but the Hall of Famer. Yep. Brandon Ayuk, rookie. Van Jefferson, rookie. J.K. Dobbins, rookie. I love this Panini Prism Black in these. Uh, very nice. Yeah. These are gorgeous cards, Lou. I like the graphics overall. It's just a nicely designed set. Look at that. Yeah. That's gorgeous. T. Higgins, rookie. Gabriel Davis, some sort of insert rookie for the Bills. Denzel Mims from the Jets. Nice. Hang on to that. Jalen Reagan, rookie for the Eagles. By the way, J5 and I were talking before the show, and we think you should grow a beard until the Jets win their next game. Game or Super Bowl? Game. All yeah. right. Well, game is reasonable. A game beard. Yeah. S Super Bowl is going to be pretty filthy. Like I might, <laughs> no. I might have some problems. No, no, no. Um, next is Henry Chin, rookie. And lastly, it looks like we got a Justin Herbert. Looking to see what brand this is. Uh, rookie this is a nice card. Look at that. That's gorgeous. Yeah. No, they did a nice job with this uh, with this set. Yeah, Logan, hope you're okay. Did Logan go in? He's in the doctor's office waiting. So, Well, feel, we're, we're, feel we're with uh, you, buddy. better, Logan. Yep. Um, so I know we have uh, Mike ready to go, so we're going to bring him in in just a minute. Um, effectively, uh, you know, rained all weekend uh, down to shore. Um, but Crosby and Julie were troopers, so it got better on Monday. We ended up staying most of the day. Really glad that we, you know, we did. And, um, you know, it was really just, you know, nice bonding with the family. And uh, even though it rained a lot, we did all sorts of stuff maybe we would, we would normally do, like the escape room, even though Crosby got a little scared at the end. He asked, 
<laughs> so, Daddy, what happens if we don't escape? And at first I joked and said, you know, something I shouldn't have said because I <laughs> yeah, realized yeah. <laughs> he was a little bit nervous about it. And then I said, no, no, it's, you know, nothing happens. And then there was just something to do with, like, the lights and the, and the sounds kind of coming out of the wall. Then at one point he said, you know, like, can we get out of here? And I showed him we could open the door. It didn't matter. Like he, something, something was uh, not as enjoyable for him as a young kid. Even though we did it, we did do with dragons and stuff. But we did a mirror maze several times. He thought it was hysterical when I would walk into the mirror wall. <laughs> um, so we had all sorts of fun that we wouldn't normally do if it wasn't raining at the shore. So um, uh, happy to uh, be back in the uh, seat today for the loft, and looking forward to welcoming Mike to the fold. If you got him available. All right, Mike's here. Hi, Mike. How are you? Hello. Hello, Lynn. Hello, Luke. Good to be on here. Thank you. Hey, Mike. Thanks for joining us. Yeah, perfect. Well, there we go. Excellent. Uh, How how was your uh, holiday weekend? It was good. Um, You know, I I work for a veteran nonprofit called Student Veterans of America. Um, I'm their vice president of development. So, um, you know, Memorial Day, Veterans Day, we always have events. We're always doing things. So one of the reasons why I couldn't come on last Wednesday, I was I was doing a, another uh, um, veterans-oriented event. Um, so I was speaking there. So, But happy to be here today. I, I assume you're a veteran, Mike? I am. I am. I served uh, <clears throat> a little over 11 years in the Army from 2001 to 2012. Can you tell us a little bit about your deployments and your history with the Army? Yeah, you know. I think like most people, and I know we have plenty of veterans in the VB community too, um, 18 years old, wondering what what I'm going to do with myself. Um, You know, my grandparents, you know, both my grandfathers um, served in World War II. And so, yeah, you know, I, I, maybe I'll join the army and get, you know, get a little experience, see the world a little bit and then get some money for college and go back to college. And so I enlisted pre 9-11. So I was already in my first duty station. I was stationed in Germany when, when 9-11 happened. And, um, you know, I just thought I was going to be running around the woods with a rifle playing soldier. <laughs> and and then it got like very real as I sat on a berm in Kuwait ready to invade Iraq in 03. Um, and so just, yeah, I, I three deployments to Iraq, one to Afghanistan. Um, between then, I, I went to college, uh, became a uh, went to the Virginia Military Institute, um, became an officer, went back into the Army, and, and then got out in 2012. Um, kind of stayed in the military stuff, and, and after that, I ended up being a security contractor for the Department of Defense. So I trained and advised Kurdish forces in northern Iraq. I trained Palestinian security forces in Jordan, and then I um, ended up working with the Israelis. And so I lived and worked in Israel for about three years before um, coming to Washington, D.C., um, kind of for a career change and pivot. So I've um, been here ever since kind of working on the veteran advocacy realm. And so, yeah. Well, let us uh, join everybody in the chat room here, and uh, thank you for your service. Yeah, yeah. Mike, thank you for your service, and really appreciate you joining us today. Um, you know, apparently I'm a very poor salesman because they just put a note in front of me that we have a really fun special that started at 4.30, uh, and I did not announce that. So I apologize, <laughs> Mike, but it's really funny. I'll understand if you have to step away. You'll see what I mean in a minute. So um, we did this a couple of weeks ago, Lou, and it really resonated with our community um, in the sense of, you know, Mike, when we run these buy any spot promos, um, you know, for our big event, uh, obviously we have thousands of entries, um, and of course we give away a lot of fun stuff. Um, but you know, we've been doing them, you know, intermittently, uh, and depending on when we do them, you know, we've seen nice engagement because we understand that, you know, not everyone's necessarily going to have 
let's say 250 bucks to buy into a T206 hit random right. or 175 bucks to get into a 51 Bowman, um, you know, set break. And so what we're doing today, Mike, uh, and Vintage Breaks gang is from now starting really at 4.30 until 7.30, um, we're running a buy any spot promo. And as the promo uh, name suggests, if you buy any spot at all on the site for as little as three bucks, you're going to get one entry. If you spend, uh, if you buy two spots, you'll get two entries in the uh, promotion, so on and so forth. Well, first place today in our buy any spot promo that ends at 7.30 is going to be a chance to win this T206 Thai Cobb Sovereign Back SGC 1.5. We're going to give away a free spot in our T206 hit room. It's 250 bucks to get in normally, but you'll be able to, uh, Mike, I see you trying to buy a spot. It's okay. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm going to be the first, I'm going to be the first vintage breaker live on, on Lane's um, so, get into uh, Anyway, a, folks, a uh, we're yeah. doing this. We thought it was a really fun way to uh, engage the community and give, give really everyone a chance uh, of any shape, size, or budget, because you really just need three or three, three bucks or three fifty is the cheapest spot on the site. And so, if you buy any spot at all, you will have one entry into this buy any spot promo that will end at seven thirty tonight. Where first place in that promo is going to win a free spot in the two hundred fifty dollar to T two hundred six hit random featuring the Ty Cobb, the Tris Speaker, Rube Marquardt, Christy Matthewson, so on and so forth. Um, you buy one entry, you'll have, excuse me, you buy one spot, you'll have one entry, you buy two spots, you have two entries, so on and so forth. And for whatever it's worth, Mike, and this is why they were letting me know that I, I had to announce it now, anyone who actually buys a spot from 4.30 to 5.30, you're actually going to be in one additional promo. I'm going to pull a Hall of Famer from my collection, and we're going to give it away as an additional prize if you end up getting in during the first hour during our loft. Uh, if not, you'll still have till 7.30, so not not to uh, worry, um, but I wanted to make that public service announcement, Mike. Thank you for letting me make that. No, <laughs> no problem. I'm just if you want to put up another 2020 tops Chrome Sapphire Formula One, I'll just use that to buy into. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah, All right. Yeah, well, that, just, that I mean, just, that's yeah. That's just my request, but uh, <laughs> but that's awesome. Um, well, uh, you know, speaking of your collecting habits and such, and it's funny because Formula One really couldn't be any further from. You know the things we were chatting about at the uh, at the Chantilly show at this point yeah. just a couple of weeks ago. Um, why don't you tell uh, you know the community and share um, you know with the folks that are watching Layton's Loft today a little bit about your collection um, and the uniqueness of it, uh, yeah. if you will. Yeah. So I, I think partially because one, my love of history, and then also you know kind of my military services. Um, I'm, I collect you know baseball cards um, of players who served in the U.S. military. And so I think a lot of us know that the military and baseball has always had a really long um, history together, all the way back to the Civil War. Um, <clears throat> it's actually, you can all look it up on Google, but one of the very first photos of a baseball game being played is, is from the Civil War. And it's, it's just a, it's a funny little photo. A regiment at Fort Pulaski in, in New York it was taking like their formal regimental photo, all the guys lined up. And then the background was just some soldiers playing baseball. And so it was like one of the first ever photos of baseball. Um, but since the Civil War to today, to the war on terror, um, there's there's always been a connection between baseball um, and the military and, and those who played and those who served. Um, and so I, I kind of brought a couple examples of what I kind of collect. So this is a, a T210 uh, Mecca double back of, of Eddie Grant. Eddie Grant is one of eight former major leaguers who um, 
who uh, was killed in the First World War. And, and Eddie Grant is really actually the only player that actually has baseball cards. Um, and so I think kind of Lou, your inspiration with, you know, your work on the T206 book is the history of all these players. You know, all these yeah. non-Hall of Fames maybe played a couple seasons, um, but left their mark on the game. And so one of the things I really got, I, I discovered um, through buying a vintage breaks was in one of your uh, 1951 Bowman sets, I won or I, I, I drew Lou Brissy. And common, no one's heard of him. He, he played a couple seasons with the Cleveland Indians. Um, and I, uh, I just looked him up. I was like, I wonder who this guy was. And it turned out um, he, he served in the United States Army in World War II. He was wounded in Italy. His, an artillery shell shattered his left leg. Mm. Um, and he convinced the surgeon not to amputate because he was a minor league ball player and, like, his, his life was baseball. And so he recovered, and he actually got to play, I think, like two seasons um, with the Indians um, as a pitcher, and he pitched with a leg brace. Um, for those two seasons. And, and you know, he, he played a couple seasons in minor league ball. And um, I thought that was really interesting. And, and, and that got me down the rabbit hole of, like, who else served and, and, and what was the connection, you know, with baseball um, in World War II. And we know, like, Ted Williams, you know, Ted Williams' story and Joe DiMaggio. Um, but there was 599 other former or current major leaguers or future major leaguers that served in World War II. And there was 4,076 minor league players that served in World War II. Wow. Um, and so, you know, with the draft, and I'll tell you, most of them were drafted. You know, not, you know, I think not a lot of them necessarily enlisted or volunteered, but some of them did. Um, but that was an aspect of, of American life, that despite them playing baseball, they were going to be drafted and they were going to serve. Now, the Army and the military did make considerations for, you know, like, all-stars like Joe DiMaggio um, that like they weren't going to go serve in combat. They actually played like exhibition, exhibition games. They traveled around as, as baseball players playing games. Um, and, and then also within different divisions and with the, you know, theaters of operations, the military created their own baseball leagues. And so a lot of these minor league players, major league players, um, you know, went enlisted, served, um, maybe joined their 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 unit's baseball team um, and, and played, you know, and so it was always kind of a facet. But um, it was just really amazing hearing some of these stories and uh, and also understanding that, um, you know, three major league ball players lost their lives, um, 167 minor league players lost their lives, um, and to think that you know within those 176. Um, you know, maybe there was a Hall of Famer, future Hall of Famer there. You know, there were there were guys who were going to make it, and and it just goes to show as well that um, Leighton, when I was showing you the, the cards, I was I was I purchased there at the, at the Chantilly show was that um, those are all players that served and and were wounded in the Second World War, which there's there's a good many, um, and there was three future Hall of Famers. Yogi Berra served in the United States Navy. Um, he was on a rocket. Um, a, a rocket ship that was firing rockets on Normandy beach on Omaha beach, supporting the invasion. And he was wounded in his right hand uh, from, from shrapnel from a German shore battery. And to think that like a ball player being wounded in his left hand, his right hand, yeah. and there's Yogi Berra, um, you know, to go back and, and play in the Yankees and, and have a hall of fame career is, is pretty crazy. 
Um, same thing, Warren Spahn was a combat engineer. Um, he was wounded, um, you know, rebuilding the Ludendorff Bridge over the Rhine as they as they as the Allies pushed into the Germany. Um, Hoyt Wilhelm um, was fought and was wounded in the Battle of the Bulge, um, and he played with shrapnel on his lower back for his entire career. Wow. Um, and, and so it's just these amazing stories and something for a veteran and even having kind of my, um, uh, you know, uh, those struggles that veterans have transitioning, including my struggles. These are kind of inspirational stories. Um, it, it's really made a connection with me um, that this is no different than 70 years ago with guys who were serving the Second World War and their transition and just picking up where they left off almost or going on to the next chapter. And so, yeah, as you can tell, a little bit of passion, a little bit of interest in this. So, as I as I ramble on, it's fascinating. Imagine that time away for the ball players must have been. First of all, it changed everybody. Obviously, World War II changed everybody. They had their time away. I've been talking about. I do a lot of prospect reporting, and I've been trying to get a, a feel from people on how the year off last year, with twenty twenty, affects development. A ball player goes away for three or four years, and by the way, goes to war for three or four years. Must have been a very difficult transition for them to come back and play. Yeah, you know, I you can only imagine, you know, what what could have been for a lot of those players um, if that they interrupted. But you know, at the same point too, you know, Warren Spawn at the end of his career, an interviewer asked him, "Hey, you know, you lost three years, three seasons of ball playing, you know, how, you know, from military service. You know, how do you think that really affected you?" And he said, "You know, maybe I wouldn't have been here last as long as I did without my military service, without." taking that discipline and an experience and strength that I get from military service and applying it to the ball game. But I mean, it, it's interesting because past World War II, I mean, uh, Pete Rose and Johnny Bench both served in the army reserves in the sixties, um, what they were coming up, um, partially because it, it got them out of the draft, um, because, you know, players were, weren't necessarily exempt from it still then, but you, you still had plenty of guys, you know, I think Whitey Ford, also had to take a year off or two in the 50s during the Korean War just, just to go to serve his time in the military and come back. Um, you know, Ted Williams did the same thing too. So it, it is like, it is an interesting thing. And, and all and like I said, it goes all the way to today. You know, uh, Steve Reich, who played, I think, literally a half a dozen games of single-A ball um, for the Baltimore Orioles organization, realized it wasn't for him. Um, he got waived. And he joined the army, became a helicopter pilot, and and unfortunately lost his life in Afghanistan in 2005. And so these stories continue to this day. You know this connection. And I think, um, it, it, I think when it comes to baseball cards, I think it's an interesting piece of Americana that you can hold, and and have a the the evidence, the impact of a player. You know, for little or as big as it is, and you can own a piece of that, and you can remember their story and learn their story through it. I think that's unique. I think, you know, with all our professions that we do. Speaking of impact, who of these players do you think had the biggest impact on the battlefield? Who, who are some of the standouts from the battlefield aspect? You know, it's, it's interesting. I I've been digging deeper. There's a couple great websites. Um, one of them is baseball in wartime. They, they do a great job researching. So you do have a lot of, a lot of players that earned purple hearts and silver stars and distinguished service crosses. I think one of the more highly decorated baseball players, um, Jerry Coleman from the Yankees, um, much like Ted Williams, he was a fighter pilot in the second world war in the Marine Corps. Um, I, I think he, he, he was awarded either the, the bronze or silver star for his actions. Um, 
But then he got called up again for Korea, like Ted Williams. Um, but unlike Ted Williams, he stayed. He didn't go back to the major leagues. He stayed in the Marine Corps and I think retired as a full board colonel. Um, so I think he, he's had an impact. I mean, once again, all of them had an impact. Um, you know, military service, especially back in the day, was something that all Americans kind of participated in or had to um, uh, kind of versus kind of the all volunteer force today. But <coughs> excuse me. I don't know the source of it, and I don't know the veracity of it, but my understanding of Ted Williams' military service was that he had a he didn't need to be drafted. In fact, he was he could have exempted himself from the draft on a couple of different levels, but decided to go into both theaters despite this. Yeah, so I know. Yeah, he did volunteer. I mean, and don't get me wrong, a lot, a lot of players did yeah. enlist volunteer, especially. So I, and I think there was you know added pressure for a lot of the all stars, you know, the public kind of facing. Sure. Um, but yeah, you know, Ted Williams. Ted Williams was a he was already a big star, so he became a pilot. But he he ended up staying stateside in World War II um, as an right. instructor. Um, Bobby Thompson, you know, shot her around the world. He he was a bombardier, um, but he ended up just training. He was only an instructor in state stateside. But he he said, yeah, I never really talked about my military service because I just I didn't do anything like the other guys that went fought at state stateside. Um, but that's an interesting thing about you know uh, Bobby Thompson, you know that. His his impact in baseball, but yeah, he, he served his country as well. Fascinating, uh, Mike, and really appreciate you know how much time you've spent, you know, getting to to learn about the historical importance of these ball players. Um, you know, I can't help but think, you know, sitting here and you know, first I was going to remark about how many professional athletes, and whether it be it's the NBA or you know, NFL is a little bit different. But even, you know, of course, Major League Baseball, hey, uh, guys play three games in a row and it's an off day. And then all of a sudden, depending on what media market you're in, um, you know, becomes a story. And you have guys like Warren Spahn who are coming out and saying, well, you know, I don't necessarily know what detracted from my career, these three years of service. Uh, you know, I think it made me a better man. And, you know, to think about that kind of thing being done today certainly would be, <laughs> uh, I think, more of an exception. Um, yeah. and, and so, you know, I, I really uh, – what to say other than um, uh, letting you know how I'm feeling and how I'm feeling is one fascinating learning about this uh, from somebody who's taken as much time as yourself but I always like to learn about different angles of collecting and, and history both in sports and then outside of sports um, Two, very proud that you know we can now call each other acquaintances and friends we've met in person you've been yeah. a part of our community uh, and I know that you've not only served our country proudly um, uh, shout out to my brother-in-law Tim, who's currently doing so, uh, and of course the the many that are doing so across not just our country but around the world. Um, and you know we've referred back to 1951 Bowman several times in our discussion, um, whether it be Yogi or whether it be Whitey Ford. Um, and so I think what we're going to do today, just as a special, uh, if you will, and please include Mike D in today's you know yeah. uh, comments because that would be terrible if Mike doesn't even have a chance. Um, <laughs> But, uh, you know, Mike, really, per discussion and, and being able to, as an owner in Vintage Breaks, uh, you know, appreciating what I'm hearing and, 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 you know, meeting you not just in person, but having you on and offering great content to our community, I thought it'd be a really nice uh, little feather in the cap if we're going to add a special prize today to the Vintage Breaks slash Just Collect sponsored Layton's Loft show. Um, we're going to give away one free spot in the 1951 Bowman uh, set break 
It's currently $175. Wow. We're going to give away a free spot in that break. Um, so not part of the seven prizes, right? It'll be another random where everyone who's on the list will have a chance to win that. Um, and then uh, I did mention this prior, but I thought it'd be a, you know appropriate time to mention this as well. Um, the first two names on the list for the free 1991 Desert Shield pack that we're gonna open, maybe we'll do it at the National. I haven't quite figured out a time yet. Um, but, uh, you and my brother-in-law, Tim, we're going to be, you know, in on that. Uh, so, um, anyone else who is either currently serving our country or has served our country in the past, will have a chance to win a free spot in that desert shield break. All I would ask is that you contact me directly, Leighton at justcollect.com. Um, and you know, my guess is, uh, you know, we'll probably do it for the national mic. Um, you know, uh, obviously there's going to be more service men and women, whether it be former and current than spots, but I feel like you and Tim are, you know, my Tim's my brother-in-law He's married to my sister. So he's got, he's got an early ticket. Yeah. And I feel like, um, you know, you and I meeting for, uh, the first time in person at Chantilly, but I feel like it won't be the last, uh, yeah. and look, it's only a few weeks later. You're already, you know, on with us, you know, here kind of sharing some of your, you know, uh, not just card expertise, but, you know, some of your experience as a serviceman, you know, for a country and what you've seen, you know, during both before and, and now since with your, uh, you know, involvement with your day job. Uh, and so I thought it'd be a fun giveaway. You know, we'll do, we'll, we'll say that's courtesy of Mike. Uh, you know, really appreciate you appearing today on our show. Um, I want to ask Mike one more question. And yeah, I, you know, please, I apologize, Mike, because I'm asking you blind. You had no preparation for this whatsoever. <laughs> but I'm curious if we were going to put a Field of Dreams team together for each branch of the service, <laughs> who would have the best team? You know, I, I, I it's, it's interesting because I kind of looked, you know. I bet you did. <laughs> I'm a little biased because I'm Army. So the Army had a yeah. lot of great players. But probably to be the, a close second would be the Navy. Uh, a couple of people mentioned like Bob Feller. Bob Feller was in the Navy. Um, you had a lot of good ball players in the, in the Navy. Um, there was always the inter-service rivalry games too, so they they would play against each other. And um, it, it's a whole other world. The the whole inter-service leagues that they had. Yeah. Um, but I know the Army Air Corps had won like the European Theater of Operation like championship game, uh, the Eighth Air Force against I think it was like you know the the Seventh Corps of the United States Army. Wow. So they they had, but like, um, yeah, that was that was another whole thing too. And that's the thing that like some of the some of the veteran players that you know in their in the trial years are giving these kind of stories. Um, they were like the ringers, like. Yeah, they, they once they were identified that they were like in the minor leagues that they were they were playing a season in the major leagues. Like their commanding officer was like, "You're on the baseball team. I don't care." Like, <laughs> and like yeah, this is that's what you, this is what you're going to contribute is we're going to win this game. Can you imagine uh, going to play a game in career and Ted Williams walks out? I mean, I mean, it's kind of unfair. Like you're a minor league. You're like I'm. Yeah. I'm barely. Yeah, I'm barely here, and now I got to pitch against Ted Williams. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I mean, and I'll show one last thing. So. Um, I, I've expanded, um, so I have a 1949 Kira uh, Mishawa, um, so Japanese. Oh, wow. they had their they had their professional league. They had it since like 1872. Um, their players on the other side of the the conflict, they all got drafted and they fought in the Second World War as well. And so I've I've tracked down a couple of their wow. players. 
Amazing. That, that sort of, and which got me a little bit into understanding vintage Japanese baseball cards, which is that's cool. Yeah, it's kind of fun too. But um, I have to just say, this has been really awesome. Thank you so much, guys. I I, I told Lane that Chantilly, and I, and I want to share it here that. I wouldn't have gone back into baseball card collecting if it wasn't for all of you. Um, I, I, I'm a kid of the 80s. I collected baseball cards in the 80s in the junk box era, and I didn't think about it until I was maybe 30, 31. Um, and when I was doing kind of like, oh, what's baseball cards like these days? <laughs> the modern stuff didn't really appeal to, too much to me. I learned about card breaking, and that didn't really appeal much to me, the, you know, the, the people that were card breaking on YouTube not spurging them at all, just not my thing. But then I came across you all and I found this like really awesome, positive, great community and you all doing some wonderful things. I was like, well, cool. I'm just going to jump on here, see what it's like. And then I got hooked. I mean, I'll blame you Lane. I got hooked. I'm like, <laughs> I'll just, I'll do one hit random. And I, I, I have it to this day. I want a 1954 tops Javi Kuhn. And I was like, Oh man, that's awesome. And then that's, I'm hooked. I'm like, I, I got to chase this feeling now. So <laughs> but so thank you. I mean, this has been great. And to the, everyone um, in the community, to James Ector and, and Chris Coe and all the others, um, I'm not very active on the chats, but I love sitting and watching and, and chiming in whenever I got a, a, a smart-ass comment to make. So, yeah. <laughs> That's cool. You know, it's funny, Mike, uh, that you mentioned it, um, you know, in terms of your involvement, because uh, obviously not everyone's been on the loft with me here and interviewed you know, for several minutes and talking about such an interesting aspect of not just their collection, but their life, you know, with your service to our country. Um, but, uh, you know, you're right. That's what makes, uh, you know, our, it's, it's a business, right? The, the legal name is vintagebreaks.com, I think LLC. But the reality of it is it's the people that make it up, uh, both on, you know, uh, our team side here, you know, locally, VB South and VB West. Um, then, of course, uh, you know, all the wonderful members of our community, some of which we've met in person at several conventions over the last several years, but we're hoping, fingers crossed, that we're going to meet many of you, uh, I guess, in just a couple months uh, at the National Sports Collectors Convention uh, in Chicago. Um, Mike, do you think you'll be coming out to the show? I want to try to. We'll, we'll see if I can make it. It's, it's always about timing and work, right? But um, it would be great. I, I would really love to. Well, uh, Mike, I hope that you're able to as well. I'm sure a lot of the folks would like to meet you in person. And, uh, you know, from me and, of course, everyone here uh, locally, uh, but then also, you know, out in the interwebs who are watching, uh, thank you for joining us today. It was uh, wonderful to hear about your journey, uh, both in life and how that kind of interweaved with collecting and how it made you be interested in baseball cards today. Yeah. No, this has been great. Thank you again. And, yeah, it's been it's been wonderful. And, and, and shout out to everyone else in the VB community and to the rest of the VB team. Uh, yeah, it's, it's, I'm really happy. And see you all again, hopefully. Absolutely. Thanks, Mike. Thank you, Thank Mike. You. All right. That was fascinating. Love that. Yeah, no, it was great. I mean, when I met him and he was showing me stuff at the show, like I almost at first said to him, like, are you putting me on? <laughs> I mean, it was it was just like way too cool. And yeah. then, you know, I realized with his background and, you know, listen, we all have things that motivate us for different reasons, um, but it's fascinating. And, I, you know, I myself, you know, like really, I think, Lou, you did the same. You kind of were startled with how many like minor league ball players ended up yeah. serving our country. You said 4,000, right? Yeah. I, I'm going to text him later, ask yeah. if I reach out a couple questions. But, yeah, I, I was fascinated. I, I was, and then at the end, oh, by the way, I also have some vintage uh, Japanese baseball cards too. 
It's like, <laughs> oh, really? Yeah, so that's the whole rabbit hole in yeah. itself, uh, is Japanese baseball card collecting. Yeah. Um, I think I have um, a couple of cards in my collection that are Japanese related. I have a few, excuse me, a few Cuban cards as well. Um, but it is, you know, all very cool. And, and once again, yes, it is courtesy of Vintage Breaks and just collecting Otia Sports. But, you know, uh, Mike being such a great guest and us talking about the 51 Bowman set so much, um, I thought it was going to be a really uh, great thing to do. We're going to give away that 1951 Bowman set spot in an additional yeah. uh, giveaway today at the end of the show, which looks I can't believe it's already 530. It felt like today's show went really fast, uh, Lou. Um, but uh, great guest. Appreciate you, uh, you know, getting him on here, making it happen. Everyone joining us today uh, on the loft. If you ever want to email me direct, you can hit me up at Leighton at JustCollect.com. We're going to have Sam take over and um, in just a minute give away the seven prizes plus the free 51 Bowman spot. And don't forget, folks, we are running a super fun promo today. It's a buy any spot promo from Nattle 730. If you buy any spot at all on the site, you'll have a chance to win a free T206 hit random spot. That's $250 value and a chance to win this T206 Ty Cobb among 74 other T206s. It does end at 730. If you buy one spot at any break, you'll get one entry. If you buy two spots, you get two entries in today's promotion. It concludes 730 Eastern time. Thanks for joining us, folks. <laughs>